0: So why do we talk about prophecy? Well, one uh, one main reason why we talk about prophecy is because the Bible itself spends a lot of time talking about prophecy, um, all kinds of different prophecy, messianic prophecy, immediate local prophecy, things like that. And also uh, it speaks a lot about eschatology or last things or prophecy in regard to the last days. And so we study it in one sense, because the Bible talks about it. So we should, uh, for students of Scripture, that should be part of what we study. But on a practical level, one of the reasons why we study uh, prophecy is because it helps us get a sense of where we are in terms of God's uh, unfolding plans and purposes. And it helps us make sense of the world that we're living in in the light of what the Scriptures have to say. Now, I do understand in saying that, that there are people that take different perspectives on different areas of eschatology and that kind of a thing. Um, But if you've been following, you know, I take a premillennial view. I believe in a literal uh, thousand-year reign of Christ that's coming. I believe in a rapture that precedes that. Um, And there's debate, obviously, about when preceding that that the rapture happens. But I do take a premillennial view of that. I take a a pre-tribulational view, to be honest with you. But Um, But even if we take different views of when the rapture happens, um, if we are taking the Bible seriously, if we're reading the scriptures uh, for what they say, uh, and if we very decidedly don't try to spiritualize a lot of stuff, but um, we take it, I like to say seriously, because we understand that sometimes there's allegory used or metaphor. um, But unless there's a good reason to apply that approach to interpreting the scripture, we probably shouldn't. And so, Um, That being said, I tend to take a much more straightforward view of what the scriptures have to say in regard to things like last things or eschatology or or the last days. And so that being said, um, as we unfold, uh, our our understanding unfolds in regard to things like Revelation or Daniel or Matthew 24, passages like this that speak of the last days, Um, the reason we study it is not just to fill our heads with just information for its own sake, uh, and certainly, these passages should not cause us to argue and fight and divide; they should cause us to debate and discuss and to dig in, um, but ultimately, we study these things and we read them so that we might make sense of the world that we 're living in that we might uh, even further maybe begin to understand what our place in it might be as witnesses for the gospel in the days leading up to christ's return. It should motivate us to want to live in such a way as uh, <clears throat> as as living in the expectation of it might seem today now of course everyone has a last day anyway. And so we should always sort of live with that mindset. But, um, and I think I've told this story before, actually, this maybe illustrates it. But, um, uh, when we were adopting our daughter from Russia, we uh, had time during the process to, uh, see various things. We had hired somebody to kind of show us around a little bit in Moscow and different places that we would travel to. And, um, and so when she found out that I was a pastor, she made it a point to take us to a few of the Orthodox churches there at the time to kind of see the artwork and the structure and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think in every one of those churches, uh, over the exit door was a mural of the Day of Judgment. And so here's wrath coming down and the angels throwing people into the bottomless pit and all this kind of stuff. And and uh, and it was it was notable. And she made it a point to mention that churches pretty much always have that there so that when people are leaving, the last thing they'll see on the way out is, hey, you better behave yourself and that kind of thing. Now, obviously, I don't encourage that kind of a mindset like, you know, be scared or God's going to throw you into hell if you don't live up to some, you know, live up to uh, some perfect standard of righteousness. We understand the gospel. We have his righteousness now because he died for our sins. But that being said, there is something to the idea that if you are living in the expectation of seeing Jesus come, Uh, whether it, you know, uh, certainly in the second coming, but I would suggest even in the rapture, the fact that we could see him, uh, again, I hold an an imminent view. And so before I finish recording this, he might snatch us away, you know? So um, if I really believe that, then I want to be about his business when he does, which is why I'm hoping he does snatch us away while I'm doing this, because I'll be kind of in the midst of that. So, But anyway, um, so that should prod something in us, right? So we study prophecy to be encouraged, um, about these things, to understand them, to be encouraged by them, to learn how to live in the context of them and those kinds of things. Uh, and I think it's a mistake to avoid teaching prophecy. Uh, the New Testament church knew nothing of avoiding teaching prophecy. Paul um, uh, spent time with the Thessalonian church, a church that he spent three Sabbaths with, you know, roughly three weeks, less than a month, planting the church, establishing it and all of this and included included in his um, Establishing that church was the teaching of prophecy when he writes first and second Thessalonians, or when he writes Corinthians where he spent a year and a half uh, when he writes these letters to these churches um, he's answering questions in regard to last day's things, so they're asking questions about this stuff, which implies of course that he was teaching them about those things so that being said um we we study the scriptures in 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 regard to prophecy because we want to be encouraged, be looking up, be expecting. And all of that. And again, to help us understand how to live in the context of an ever uh, more insane world. And these are, in fact, bizarre times that we're living in. Um, in just Think about it. In just, uh, in just a relatively short time, certainly in the space of a few years and many things in the space of even just this last year, all kinds of developments have been going on that have been uh, startling, uh, remarkable, remarkable. Um, think about the, the whole COVID thing. You know, the the whole idea of the the, the pandemic per se. Um, you know, in in the in recent days now, you know, we've all been used to having to, you know, where, the idea of masking and all that kind of stuff. Well, now there are smart masks being developed that uh, are connected to an app on your phone that will alert you when your mask is either not on if, if you left it at home or something. <clears throat> it will alarm you alert you if you don't have it on right. Uh, and it saves data and has the potential potential to share data and that kind of thing um, with somebody who will keep track of these kinds of things. Um, and, and so, you know, we've gone from, <clears throat> you know, without getting on a tear and that kind of thing. Um, but it, it's pretty plain for most people to see that if, if there weren't all these overreaching reactions to covid most of us probably would not have even been aware of a pandemic, we would have seen it as just sort of another flu and that, or that kind of a thing I should say. And so, but it's the reaction to COVID that has created so much chaos in our world today. And, you know, and we've talked about this in the past. I won't spend too much time on that today, but, um, and and by the way, I'll try to link some, uh, not only resources from things I'll talk about today, but maybe in a couple of links to some of our previous videos on this as well. But, um, you know, so we're all used to this idea of, of the expectation of masking and, and of social distancing and of vaccinations and all those kinds of things. Well, we've gotten so accustomed to this. When I say we, I mean the world by and large, uh, many of us really are, um, sort of in the place where we understand that it is a disease. It's a real thing that people have to contend with, but the reaction and response to it is so bizarrely overreaching, um, and in concert and connection with some of the things that people in positions of authority like uh, those at the World Economic Forum or even world leaders uh, and, and also people that are uh, wealthy and hugely influential um, are clearly utilizing this as an opportunity to build, well, build back better or to build a new kind of a society that is global in nature uh, and leaves the old version of of the way we did life behind. And so as we as we further dig into things like this, and as we think about them, and as we consider how they maybe fit into what the scriptures say about the last days, um, we begin to recognize that there's some pretty clear correlation between what the world is doing and what the Bible says the world will be doing in the days leading up to Christ's return. So in in regard to some of the practical things we've been dealing with, like masking and that, again, now there's these smart masks and this kind of thing. There's also passports that they're starting to develop and put into use. There's a sort of a version of this available in in Britain right now uh, that Boris Johnson is pushing that uh, one day, and very likely one day very soon, will be a thing here as well. It's a digital passport that basically uh, is a proof that you've been vaccinated and will gain you access uh, to air travel, to businesses, to essentially life uh, and to engage in society and that kind of thing. Um, and there's, there's going to be a very big push for that here. And by and large, there will be some resistance, but it will still be put in place. Uh, I have no doubt it'll be put in place because the vast majority of people are sort of in that place of living in fear where, hey, whatever I have to do to feel safe and have some sense of security, I'll do it. i Want me to wear a smart mask that has an app on my phone so that I can prove to the government that I'm masking up and doing my part and everything? That's not hard to imagine uh, that kind of thinking and scenario. Um, interestingly, I read an article uh, where it spoke about, uh, and this was from, um, I'll try and remember to, to find it and, and post it on here with this. But um, it spoke about the, it was it was an article written again from uh, someone in England but it spoke of the idea that, that they're essentially their CDC um, was talking about how when summer comes, there, there should be a dramatic drop off in COVID in that. And they began to piece that together with uh, or they began to see that uh, the writers of this article, at least, began to see that as being sort of a way to sort of let our guard down with some of the masking and that kind of thing. So that when a new variant of COVID comes in, we can all of a sudden gear right back up and we've sort of been prepared for it so let's hunker down again and mask up and do all those things and put on the new technology in our masks so we can really get this thing under control this time and all that you know between that and, and our own president talking about if we behave ourselves we can hopefully have barbecues by July 4th um, we have just have become so conditioned as a society not just here not just in Britain but a global society where we just expect that the government is giving us instruction on what to do how to do it so that they can help us get through this whole thing um, it was fascinating if you watched any of the um, any of the um, uh, the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos um, the Davos meeting uh, earlier this year the theme of the meeting basically was reestablishing confidence in government because uh, they sort of you know expressed that they understood that many people weren't trusting government because of the various messages that were being sent about how to handle COVID. And so therefore we needed to reestablish trust in government so that people could once again trust their governments uh, to lead them through this pandemic and everything. And again, this becomes a conditioning feature, our technique of helping people to sort of say, oh, well, they're contrite and and they have our best interest in mind and let's, let's give them another shot and then uh, they'll be able to lead us through this thing. Um, we, we just need to be careful of of just, you know, the carrot on the end of the stick, uh, you know, is maybe poisonous. It may not be a treat that we think it is. So we ought to be, we ought to always have a healthy measure of skepticism about pretty much everything. In other words, we don't just blindly believe things when they're told to us. We make sure we investigate, we learn about things, we consider implications, we we do our homework personally to find out all that we can about things so that we can move wisely. We would apply that to anything. Why would we be any less diligent when it comes to something that has completely turned our worlds upside down uh, in terms of this pandemic? Um, that's just one area, though. The COVID thing is just really one area that has been, um, it's been one of the longest uh, seasons that we've experienced in a long time as we go through this thing together. But it's not the only thing going on. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago, those who are uh, kind of wealthy and influential uh, decision makers influencers in the world around us um, that has also been uh, a a a massive uh, had a massive impact on the way that we th- they have had a massive impact on the way that we think. Think about the whole censorship movement that 's going on right now uh, We would never have imagined two years ago that um, that we would be so beholden to tech companies that they could actually be in a position to influence the kind of information that we are allowed to have access to. Um, and I think it the best example that really kind of shocked our system and, and caused us to realize that, oh my gosh, there's, there is sort of an Orwellian mindset behind uh, some of these people's thinking in terms of their control over society and the information that society has access to. Uh, the um, the uh, the deplatforming of Parler was that event that all of a sudden we realized that uh, a social media company that was competitive with some other ones and kind of quickly rising in prominence, uh, in particular, became a kind of a bastion of free speech for for uh, for uh, conservatives. Well, all of a sudden, um, they were deplatformed by not just. Um, uh, you know, or they, you know, we we saw their apps like were no longer available on Google, no longer available on uh, the Apple Store, and that kind of thing. But not only that, but Amazon, whose servers that uh, I think it was Amazon, right? The the whose service uh, their servers, their service was on, cut them off, and all of a sudden they didn't have a home. Well, three gigantic, like gigantic, uh, tech companies. Uh, it's like the three big auto, the three the big three automakers, right? But in tech the big three essentially shut down an outlet for free speech. That was shocking, you know. And of course, after that, it, it, there's a part of me that wonders if this became sort of a social experiment by these companies because that should have caused everybody, whether you liked Parler or not, whether you uh, like the idea that conservatives uh, have a voice, that idea of shutting down an outlet for free speech that should have sent shockwaves across the world to everybody about these companies and the power that they wield, and the particular perspective that they have. Um, and of course, you know, shortly thereafter, Twitter and Facebook uh, really ramped up their uh, censoring of different ideas. And of course, now the president, uh, now for a time, has not uh, for a while now, has not been able to have a platform of his own to speak to uh, people on Twitter and Facebook and that. It's, it is shocking. Uh, and, and I'm not a sensationalist. I mean, so I'm talking about this um, as someone who not only teaches the Bible, but also has a particular interest in, and teaches government. Uh, when I think about the um, the implications of that, uh, our country, and, and here in the United States, for those of you who are watching outside the country, the First Amendment is sacred. The idea of free speech and being able to uh, say what you want to say and you can argue that, well, these platforms are privately owned, and so they shouldn't, they're not required to have to let anybody say whatever they want. But the massive hypocrisy about, uh, and the very specific kind of things that they don't want people to be able to say, conservative ideas. Um, and again, even if I set aside my own conservatism, the idea that a company that has invited so much interaction now has the power to shut down certain segments of that, Uh, And we find ourselves sort of with our hands tied, not being able to do anything about that. Um, uh, And they're big enough to sort of squash any other attempts to sort of build uh, a platform that might be competitive with them. That should be frightening and shocking. But that is, I say all that to say that is another characteristic of the world in which we live. These are bizarre times. These are the kinds of things we would never have really imagined um, happening. Uh, Speaking of bizarre uh, another area, UFO sightings, and the interest in UFOs. You know, it used to be just the stuff of science fiction. You know, you'd watch like Close Encounters or something like that, and you'd be interested in, uh, in just sort of the, the the sci-fi element of that. And It was entertaining and all that kind of a thing. Um, but as anyone probably knows, there's been a long uh, history of research into extraterrestrial life and all those kinds of things, whether it's the SETI project or whether it's Um, uh, you know uh, Area 51 all these different things uh, that you know Hollywood has sort of you know had some fun uh, bringing some entertainment from that but there's been serious study of that kind of thing Um, now in the interest of uh, uh, in, in the interest of transparency I don't believe there is extraterrestrial life in terms of intelligent life uh, even Carl Sagan made the point that the odds of our own existence here from a purely secular material standpoint are so small as to make it seemingly impossible that there would be life anywhere else. Uh, the idea in his book and in, in, uh, in the movie Contact where it talks about if there's no other life out there, it seems like an awfully big waste of space. Well, that, that's kind of a moral uh, uh, sense. That's sort of a, a, a sense that there should be something else out there just because, uh, even though from their perspective, the science doesn't seem to bear it out. Now, there may not be microbes and things in other places, but in terms of intelligent life, I don't personally believe there is. I think that when we see UFOs and that kind of a thing, I think what we're actually seeing and the interactions and even the fourth kind and the abductions and things like that, I think those are purely demonic. I think uh, I would agree with uh, a scientist named Jacques Vallée, who uh, was in, uh, in terms of the uh, close encounters in the third, of the third kind, he was the French scientist there who was kind of spearheading this whole uh, contact with the aliens and that. Um, he made the comment in his own writings that he believed that these were interdimensional beings uh, because the vast distances you would have to travel to get from even the nearest star to here are so astronomically large, the distances, that it would be generational, like multiple, many-generational travel would have to take place. The person who left whatever planet would not be the person who got here, even traveling at the speed of light, which is physically impossible. Um, So... All that said, um, the whole UFO phenomenon used to be sort of the stuff of crazies and crackpots and just people who wanted to see the entertainment value of these kinds of things, watching movies and such. But now there are government officials uh, that come out and talk about how in our own country who are releasing more and more and will continue to release more and more information about unexplained UFOs. Uh, it used to be in the day they would always sort of write it off to a weather balloon or a weather pattern or it's just a, a new kind of technology, uh, a fighter jet we're working on or something like that, any such thing. Well, now they're admitting that there are un, unexplained ones and, and many unexplained ones. And uh, and some have begun to almost step right in, I, I guess based on how you had defined it, maybe have even fully stepped into the admitting that there are unexplained uh, phenomena from outside of our own world that, that have uh, shown up and that kind of thing. And so it's just fascinating uh, that this is now becoming something that is mainstream, not just in the entertainment industry, but it's becoming mainstream among thinking, you know, quote-unquote rational, typical kinds of people. It's kind of being brought out of the realm of the crazy and the fringe, maybe fringe is the better word, out of the fringe into the mainstream. In a really, really... Uh, like everyday household word kind of way. That's a big shift. That's a paradigm shift in that area. Uh, And we spoke about this in a a video. We specifically talked about uh, the UFO phenomenon and its place in maybe explaining the rapture when the time comes, when the world is searching for an explanation as to what happened to multiple millions, if not a billion people, all of a sudden vanishing. I'm not the first by any stretch of imagination. Many people, uh, Bible teachers have been talking about that for a long, long time. And so, this is something that um, any of us who've kind of thought about these things, uh, when we see this happen, we're like, wow, they may really be using this. Um, think about pop culture. My wife and I were just talking about this. And, uh, you know, I'm a superhero, not too. And so, we've seen, you know, all the Marvel movies and all that kind of stuff. Well, what about the blip, right? The idea of Thanos snapping his fingers and half of the population of the universe disappearing. Um, I found it interesting in. Um, in uh, Endgame, the last of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies there, um, that in Captain America's meeting sort of support group where he's meeting with some people talking, in that scene, as they were moving into that scene, you saw a sign on the wall or on a pillar or something on a post that said something to the effect of, now that they're gone, where do we go? In other words, how do we sort of build back after this disappearance has taken place? In uh, in such a upfront pop culture way, this idea of people vanishing all of a sudden, Well you know, in, in the movies it's because of Thanos and this kind of thing and the snapping of his fingers, but and the, you know, the gauntlet and everything. But but the fact is that idea now is just again further brought into the social consciousness. And something like that happens, people aren't going to stop and think there's a real Thanos. Some people probably will, but um, but people who see the the event of the Rapture take place and are left behind. There is some element of familiarity with this concept now—not the biblical concept necessarily for many, but just the, the cultural, social, entertainment element that has brought this to a level of familiarity that will suddenly make it that little tiny bit less of something to freak out over because we sort of have, you know, seen this in in, in our in our in our culture and the way that it's been presented in the entertainment industry, and that um, you know it's just uh, there, there. was just this constant conditioning of the psyche of the world to receive the things that the Bible has said is coming. Um, you know it's interesting you know there's people that debate what the lie is and uh, that the people in that Paul talks about in those days um, the lie that they believe that ultimately God sends them strong delusion because they've pretty well rejected at that point and so God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie. I don't think it's going to take that much delusion for them to buy in. I think they're already pretty much there. They've made their choice. And the truth is, when you reject the truth, then anything becomes a possibility of an explanation, right? So so the UFO phenomenon is uh, another uh, element of the bizarreness of this world that is just and, and, and this UFO thing, by the way, where, where is this, I, you know, the, the study of UFOs and the search for extraterrestrial intelligence and all that has been going on for many, many, many years. The, the, the swiftness at which it's been brought out of the fringe into the mainstream is notable. It's palpable. It's like it just all of a sudden became a thing. All of a sudden now there's stories all over the place. I'll, I'll insert a couple here in the notes afterward too. Um, and of course, we've talked a lot about. To switch gears again, uh, we've talked a lot about the Great Reset, the idea of the World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab is its founder and president, pushing the world toward an idea, toward the idea, and the ideal of a global society uh, where we um, we become one people, uh, where we reinvent and reset. Uh, economics, politics, um, environment, technology, social uh, interactions, things like this. All these, you know, these five pervasive ideas of all societies that will be changed to accommodate a version of fairness that they have uh, in their designs. Um, Well, all of the things we've been talking to prior are easy tools to use to help bring the world toward that place um it doesn't take again a lot of imagination to uh to see the world in such chaos uh and all of a sudden in part if not sort of the straw that broke the camel's back the idea of the rapture where all of a sudden tons of people are gone and the world is left to sort of resolve all this um with some you know in some sense the rapture will bring glee to those people in the world that want to bring about this global society that we tend to be the problem with um But on the other hand, there's also going to be some very technical, chaotic, uh, some very practical, chaotic elements going on that they're going to have to fix because people that are believers that are snatched away will have been in all kinds of positions of prominence, uh, making key decisions and stuff. Well, they'll be gone now, and so they'll have to find ways to bring that together. Well, you know, imagine a uh, an organization like the World Economic Forum that is geared in, ready to sort of take the lead in that. Uh, and then, uh, some some through some chain of events, uh, from that point, an antichrist, a, a leader, a man rises up, that is not just secular, but finds a way to sort of blend the secular and the spiritual, into a global unity around a religion that has him as the object of it, the savior of the world, as they would see him, uh, having forsaken the actual savior, and they rally around him. Um, now, a lot there's a lot of gaps there to fill in, but. As quickly as things are moving and the kinds of things that are happening, this is becoming far and far less far-fetched than you would have ever thought previously, even, even in recent years. Um, but all of that to say um, that at some point, the world was going to arrive at what the Bible describes, Revelation 13, uh, Thessalonians 2, Daniel chapters 10 and 11, um, we haven't even talked about, like, you know, Israel in the center of all these things, and and Ezekiel 38 and 39, which are, in my view, going to precipitate those things. Uh, The other things we've been talking about, reaching their fulfillment. Um, But even that, we could, and no doubt, probably will spend a podcast talking about that, including the information about Israel uh, doing a sort of a strike against a a premier Iranian um, enrichment plant. Um, So there's all kinds of this stuff going on here. And so... How do we get to those things? Well, at, you know, in some way, in some very practical ways, we were going to watch the world move into that direction. Uh, and we're seeing it happening at break, uh, breakneck speed. And so as we recognize that the end of uh, the end game for the world, um, the way that the world is going to ultimately come together, it will not just be in some kind of global unity. It will not just be an economic uh, equity for everybody. But there will be a strong spiritual element brought in by the Antichrist. It's fascinating to me that um, so much of what is being talked about in regard to the Great Reset leaves religion out entirely. The Fourth Industrial Revolution talks about things uh, in concert with the Great Reset. The Fourth Industrial Revolution speaks of a lot of things, not the least of which is the blending of humanity with technology, uh, making not just building society back better, but even having the potential to make us physically better, quote-unquote. Uh, utilizing technology that will allow us to live longer and have artificial limbs. And there's all kinds of, dis- I mean, we have artificial limbs, but like uh, smart limbs, essentially, um, that allow our brain to communicate with these, uh, these new synthetic tools that are part of our body now, that, that make us better versions of ourselves. Uh, there's a lot of discussion today about what it even means to be human, well, in, in the context of AI, like what if AI becomes self-aware? Does it become a sentient being? And and uh, and uh, that, does that self-awareness mean personhood? Those are the kinds of discussions in ethics circles and scientific circles that are being discussed right now and because they need to be because that's where technology is going. Um, you know, in science fiction movies, we would see people's memories implanted into uh, a synthetic version of themselves so they could live on, you know? Well, does that mean now that You know, uh, you know, are you really living on? You know, questions of the soul and the spirit come into discussion on these kinds of things. These are the kinds of discussions that the world is having. Um, Now, there's a point at which I don't think God will get allow us to get past, because you know, ultimately, uh, much in the same way that when man came together in the Tower of 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 Babel and that kind of thing, He dispersed them and spread it out and stopped that. Uh, When man had been uh, in Genesis six uh when when uh when you know uh, the nephilim the, these 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 beings interacted and, and cohabitated with uh with human women and uh when these uh, i should say the um the, uh, these demons interacted uh, interacted and cohabitated with these women and the nephilim were formed from this um, you know God destroyed the world not just because of wickedness in a general sense but in large part because this was happening. Uh, the complete contamination changing of humankind in that time. Uh, and so that being said, and you, by the way, if you've not ever, if that sounded nuts right there, you should read Genesis 6 verses 1 through 4 and then the passages following up uh, ultimately leading to the flood. Um, this was a, as a matter of fact, we talked about the book of Enoch recently. Someone asked about it. And the, uh, the book of Enoch has a lot to do with uh, those um, those beings that were punished uh, in chains in that uh, in everlasting darkness um, because of that act and that kind of a thing. And so um, that all said, um, when that happened so early in human history, God stopped it and destroyed the world and, and started over with Noah and his family. Well I think there's a point at which God will stop that from happening technologically, sort of a, a technological version of that happening, which by the way may be no less influenced by demonic activity as that was back in Genesis 6. Um, and so, as these things continue to progress, and what it means to even be human begins to uh, is a question that begins to be answered in a purely secular sense. Because again, we've pushed religion out of these questions. Now, this is now purely scientific, quote unquote, major, quote unquote. Um, at some point, I just believe the Lord will end these things before we ever get to that point. Um, so. Again, at some point we were gonna watch the world get to where the Bible describes are going to be. That will ultimately lead, and this is I think where I was ultimately going, is that when the world coalesces behind Antichrist, he will have found a way to include a spiritual element to this because all of us have a spiritual desire and hunger and thirst that we seek to satisfy in some way. Well, he will sort of present himself as the answer to that. Uh, in the context of a world that is now unified globally, technologically, environmentally, uh, economically, politically, socially, all these things. But in doing so, when we get to Revelation 19, we realize that when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom, uh, I, am, I am in some ways very, very thankful that the video of ours that has had the most views has to do with this very subject, the idea of Christ's coming kingdom uh in contradistinction to this global unity that will be formed by man. Um, and ultimately, that will be brought about in part by this great reset and everything. Um, when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom, as foretold throughout the scripture, the millennial kingdom is one of the most spoken of topics in all of scripture but in particular in places like Daniel chapter two and four and seven, where we see this coming of one whose kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, described as a rock not cut with hands that strikes at the heel of that global unity that is taking place at the time where uh, where this kingdom of Christ is now established and set up. It will be met with fierce opposition by the kings of the world, the people of the world that have rallied behind Antichrist. Now that rebellion will be put down speaking of Thanos snapping his fingers when Jesus comes to to deal with this uh and it really happens and is dealt with ultimately that rebellion against him at the coming of the uh, and the establishing of his kingdom he'll deal with that in like the space of two verses i mean it's it's done it's fast it's over um so where does that leave us why why talk about these things again well because i think it's important for us to have a biblical perspective as we look at the world around us and having a biblical perspective means how do we live in the context of the world that we're in right now? You and I, like Esther at her time, we are here for such a time as this. And so how do we respond to the, what's going on in the world around us from a biblical perspective? And uh, we also should recognize that since these things are coming to pass uh, in, in a way that fits so hand in glove with what the scriptures talk about, we should be understanding that the time of our redemption draws near, the time when Jesus will establish his kingdom is near, and therefore the rapture of the church is even nearer than that. And so let me speak to this for just a moment. How do we respond to this? How do we live in uh, in this context? And, and as we study prophecy and, and all the scriptures have to say about all the things that scripture speaks about, how do we integrate that into our lives in the world in which we're living? I think for starters, uh, we we always want to remember that as believers, we always want to stand for righteousness. Uh, We want our voices to be heard, and let me say for the right reasons. Um, There's a lot of hills we could choose to die on, but the hill that we die on is the gospel and the truth of God, the person of Christ, the nature of God, redemption, these things, what it means to be saved to be part of the coming kingdom. Uh, and part of the kingdom now, uh, of his kingdom even right now, but the one that's really coming as well. I don't mean kingdom now like that whole theology. What I mean is that when we become believers, even as it says in Revelation, he's made us a kingdom, priests unto our God, right? So um, so we want our voices to be heard for that reason, to make the points uh, um, and, and to speak to righteousness, to make it known. Uh, to do things and live in such a way that reflect the righteousness of God in our society as a light in a dark place. Um, And so I make that point of standing for that because there's a lot of room to talk about standing against the things that we have been speaking about, the Great Reset, um, the way COVID has been turned into a control mechanism for government and that kind of thing, and all the various elements that that might uh, come from that. Oh, speaking of which, gosh, I can't believe I forgot to even mention this. One of my favorite, quote unquote, uh, crazy things that are going on today on the part of those who are uh, wealthy, powerful, and influential is Bill Gates's desire to sort of build a, uh, a block around the earth to kind of dim the sun for global warming, you know, to stop global warming. Okay. Wow. Like, are you crazy? Like, what, what could possibly go wrong with that, right? But anyway, just but so when we see things like this, We want to speak clearly against them and all those things. We want to make known the idea um, that when something is wrong, unrighteous against what God has said, we want to make those things known. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, we do it for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, We have a, a responsibility in a sense as citizens of the countries we live in. But really we have our as believers we have an ultimate responsibility to that kingdom, and we understand that the kingdoms of this world are fading away this world is passing away, and it will one day there will one day be a new heavens and a new earth um when when uh uh, uh when when Israel ultimately stands alone in the last days, every nation comes against her, right all peoples are against her and so None of, us are, none of our countries are exempt from that. And so these countries really are going downhill. They are ultimately going to end. And so we can fight for things that are temporal or we can fight for that which is eternal. And my suggestion, obviously, is that we fight for those things that are eternal. We stand for those things. Um, let me make another very practical uh, suggestion as well. And that is that you be rooted in a Christian community preferably a church body locally, that you literally are part of locally. Uh, I have come to notice that in our little fellowship here in Franklin, that there has been such a, uh, a growth of unity and togetherness in, in our little body as we look forward to seeing Christ come. Um, people are praying together, hanging out together, uh, being together. Um, it's, it's, it's been really wonderful to see that. Uh, and so my encouragement to you is that as we move closer and closer to the coming of Christ, that we all make it a point to be part of a Christian community. Now, for some that don't have a Christian church nearby or, um, you know, don't have that opportunity, then, you know, things like this can provide something of that. And I'm thankful for that opportunity. I'm thankful for the community that's kind of rallied around, too, where we keep in communication and we, end, you know, go back and forth on questions and and, and issues and topics and stuff. That's wonderful. Um, and, uh, and if that's, if that is where you can find it and that's the only place then I'm glad it's there, but if you have the ability to be in, in fellowship with other believers in person, even if it's just another couple nearby or something like that, just get together and pray and read the word together and, and discuss what's going on and look at what the word has to say about it together, develop some community, uh, wherever you can find it in this, uh, around, uh, the word. Remember the the early church was very simple, right? They they got together around the apostles' doctrine and uh, and and uh, fellowship and breaking bread and prayer. Right, those four simple things form the basis of Christian fellowship in the earliest years. So don't think it's got to be some ornate thing. Just get together with other believers, uh, and major on the majors and don't divide over the minors. Have discussions about the minors, engage about the minors, but unify around the majors. Those those. Those truths that are non-compromisable, the gospel, the person of Christ, the nature of God, uh, again, redemption, how it is we're saved and all this, growing in Christ, those ideas. But the the things that are peripheral, don't divide over, is the rapture happening here or here? I wish we all agreed on that, but the fact is we don't. And so is that a reason you can't fellowship with a believer? no. Um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, are they for today or are they not? Again, I wish we all agreed on that, but we don't. Does that mean we can't be together in, in perilous times, in the foxhole? What things matter and what things matter less? You know, what things are essential and which things aren't? Um, I would also suggest recognize the times that we're living in. If you remember in uh, in Jesus' first coming, when he walked on the earth, He indicted the religious leaders who should have known the time of his coming. They were students of the word. He said, you can look at the weather and you can discern how tomorrow's going to look, but you can't discern the signs of the times. In other words, he was indicting them for not knowing that he was here. Uh, We've said it before, when uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem, there are a lot of times they wanted to make him king earlier than that, his followers. But he wouldn't allow it. And then all of a sudden, on one particular day, he rides into Jerusalem and presents himself as the Messiah, the King, right? Why that day? Because that's the exact day Daniel said, in Daniel chapter 9, that he would show up. And he expected them to know it. As a matter of fact, he wept over Jerusalem before he ultimately made that, uh, you know, ultimately as he was presenting himself, he wept over the city because they didn't recognize this, their day, this specific day that had been ordained for them to know their Messiah and to receive him when he came. Well, let me suggest that since the Bible talks an awful lot about his second coming, if we were to take the first, the things said about his first coming seriously, literally, then we should do the same with his second coming. And we should not make the error that those religious leaders, those who should have known better, uh, that they made the first time. We should not make that mistake in regard to his second coming. So study and understand prophecy. Churches that, I'm actually very thankful um, that there are um, more and more churches stepping into the realm of trying to understand prophecy and teach it. Uh, I do hear about that, and I see that, and I, I see the interest in understanding biblical prophecy increasing in some quarters. Unfortunately, not in all Church quarters. I think that all churches should open their Bibles, read these books, not come at it with the preconceived ideas that this is all somehow a spiritual metaphor for something, but understand what the Bible is saying about the days that are coming so that when we see it, we'll recognize it and that we equip our people to be able to recognize it and to be able to gather around and talk about these things and not to see them as something to be avoided, uh, it's something we should spend our time studying and understanding and where we have opportunity teaching. Um, and then lastly, uh, and this is, some, this is a drum I've been banging for a long, long time. Prioritize your primary citizenship. I mentioned a moment ago the idea that we all are citizens of the countries we live in. And we have a certain amount of responsibility to that. And, and hopefully, you know, in my case, I have a great thankfulness for my citizenship. Um, but I do have a citizenship that is higher than that. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul talks about our citizenship being in heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he goes on to talk about this ministry of reconciliation that was given to him and his entourage. And I would say by extension, it's not unfair to say that as believers, we have also this mantle upon us, this responsibility to be ambassadors for Christ, making our plea to the world around us to come and be reconciled. Jesus has become sin with our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Therefore, come and be reconciled now. He has wiped the ledger clean. All that is left is for you now to come. That is our message. That is our marching order. That is what we do. That's where we should prioritize. Um, In spite of everything else that we could point at and and dig our heels in and on everything, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't dig our heels on some things, but if it costs us the ability to bring the gospel then let me suggest that the eternal issue must outweigh the temporal issue or at least connect with the temporal issue so that that temporal issue, the attention to it can move now to the eternal. That becomes the important thing that we are um, called to live in, called to do, called to recognize our responsibility in. Um, I love the term, so I'll use it. Tony Evans has used it many times. You and I live in the eschatological dialectic, uh, that tension between the now and the not yet. And that's compounded, by the way, because of our dual citizenship. Um, We have a definitive citizenship in heaven as children of God. And so therefore we have to find a way to let that citizenship be the primary one as we live in the context of the citizenships that we have here on earth. One is going to pass away, one will not. And so the one needs to prioritize over the other one because it has far more lasting and far-reaching implications to it. Um, so that all said, that's why we talk about prophecy. That's why we spend time digging into the Scriptures, and, and uh, at which we didn't spend a lot of time looking particularly. But we did talk about a number of Scriptures. I'll make sure to reference those in the notes below so you can open them up and read them and spend time uh, considering and studying them. But we study these things so that we might be prepared for what's coming, both in the immediate but also in terms of Christ's coming. So, my hope and prayer genuinely sincerely is that when we talk about these things um that um that we take very much to heart the reality of God's truth and our call to live it out and to share it to propagate it in this world in the spheres of influence that we have as the days get closer to his coming for us and then ultimately his return to establish his kingdom. There is going to more and more become a, hopefully, uh, among his people, a sense of urgency, a sense of recognizing that we have to decide uh, how we're going to spend our energies and our resources. Uh, the temporal things are going to become all the more evidently clear to us to be things that are passing away. And the reality of that eternal, everlasting, um, Kingdom rooted in that everlasting relationship now with God in Christ, um, that is going to become the prominent primary thing as we get closer and closer. I, I have a sense that, uh, and just, and I, I believe this is just grown in from reading the Scripture on these subjects, is that it's going to become a very clear either-or thing when it comes to how we proceed in this life. Uh, we're going to find ourselves having a deeper hunger and thirst. Uh, for righteousness and for God's kingdom to come in these things. Uh, when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it'll take on an increased sense of poignancy as we recognize, really, the pervasive nature of 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 asking for such a thing and what the answer would look like. Um, but this is good for us to move in that direction because we're going to spend eternity with the Lord, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to far surpass, I mean, it's almost silly to even have to say this, but it's going to so far surpass anything that we feel we want to hold on to today, that I think the recognition of that as we move closer and closer is going to cause us to hold lightly, touch lightly those things of this world, but all the more firmly seek to grasp that which is eternal and to, um, and to march our way toward that with a sense of intention and purpose. So, Father, help us in this. We pray that, Father, you would help us to recognize the beauty of what is yet to come, that which you've promised that will one day be fulfilled, that which Christ died for. We know the who he died for. That's us. That's, that's the believers. That's those who have put their trust and faith in you and have, have, uh, those in the Old Testament longing to uh, see the promises fulfilled, those of us in the New Testament seeing the promise fulfilled in Christ. But now as he comes to finish that work uh, and restore and, and even recreate a new heavens and a new earth, uh, these things bring us great excitement. We so desperately want to see the the wickedness, the evil, the harm, the pain, the hurt, um, the all of the things that this world has just c- continues to be so much about to finally just be finished and to be and to fade away. But Father, it's not yet. We still are living in this world. We're still breathing this air rather than the air of heaven. and so as long as we're here, we just pray that you'd help us to recognize our calling our marching orders, our place and purpose in your plans, that you've called us for such a time as this in the days in which we live. And help us to not make the mistake that those, uh, those who should have known better in the first century made when Jesus came the first time, but help us to be a people prepared in our day. Um, and help us to be students of your word. Help us to dig in Help us to not be satisfied with a cursory, um, casual, surface-level Christianity, but help us to seek to go deeper and deeper and deeper into this relationship. We know in heaven we'll have all eternity to plumb the depths of this, but you've invited us to even begin to do that now. And so we pray that you would just guide us and give us a hunger and thirst for your word. And, and, um, and as we spend our time in it, that it will help equip us again to see the world in which we're living in for what it really is, and also to recognize the nearness of your coming. So thank you, Father. We love you. We praise you and bless you, and pray that these times together uh, in your word and discussing subjects like this will be uh, wonderfully rich and helpful for every one of us uh, to further our relationship with you and prepare for your coming. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for saving us from our sins, washing us clean, and giving us such a, a beautiful and rich eternal hope. Thank you, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have any thoughts, comments, um, actually a lot of times people will send me articles about things that I, I love reading and, and all of that, That um, go ahead and share those. You can do that in the comments section below here on our YouTube channel. You can go to my website at parsonspad.com. You can comment and leave stuff there as well. You can watch all these videos there as well. Um, and you can email me uh, at brian at parsonspad from there as well. And then, uh, of course, as always, we'd love to have you come visit us at Calvary Chapel in Franklin, where we, uh, gather around the word together every Sunday and Wednesday night You can watch our Wednesday night live stream here on YouTube as well. And then on Sunday mornings, we are uh, live streaming our Sunday morning, uh, uh, services on our website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. I'm trying to figure out how to get that all integrated so we don't have to have two different things. But, um, uh, but that all said, um, uh, we, we do that because we want people to be able to come together around the word and, uh, and to um and just to be fed uh, as you know and so uh, we invite you to do that but uh, in any case, we'll look forward to catching up with you again next time. God bless you and uh here there or in the air. we'll see you soon.